day of the NFL season almost in the books. Sunday night football is on right now. But the Dallas Cowboys are playing the New York Giants. And when the New York Giants are in prime time, you know what that means, guys. This is episode, I don't even know. It's a Danny Dimes episode. Maybe call Danny Dimes in prime time once again. But the series is back. And before we get into anything else, I was going to wait for this, but I'm going to say right away, shoot from the hip. How happy are you right now that you're not your wide receiver one went out there and balled, but your quarterback looked incredible? I am uh, through the moon. Uh, of course, the very first thing that Danny did was go on Twitter and say the game doesn't tell us anything about the Dolphins, which is very, very, very typical for him. I, I'd be shocked if his team scores 36 points tomorrow, by the way, but that's a different story. Uh, yeah. it, it is. Yeah, no, I, I, I was going into the game pretty chill, like, OK, the Chargers are favored. There's no hype around the Dolphins like there was this time last year for yeah. the same game. You know, like last year, if you remember, Joey Bosa and Derwin James got hurt. And that was yes. like the big talking. Yeah, that was one of the big talking points. Like the Chargers don't have their two best defenders. The Dolphins offense should shred. And this was the reverse where Teron Armstead got ruled out, which, by the way, Dolphin fans knew that was coming. I guess the rest of the NFL community maybe saw it as a surprise. But we've known for weeks that Armstead wasn't going to play that game. And when Armstead was ruled out, you saw like Mina Kimes and Bill Barnwell and all these people go like, oh, I mean, without Armstead, I mean, Armstead might even be more important than Tua. Without Armstead, they can't do anything on offense. And even though Tua only had 51 dropbacks without Teron Armstead last year, that's a very small sample. But nonetheless, people thought that the offense couldn't do it. All the hype has been about the Chargers. I can't tell you how many podcasts that I respect over the past two weeks we're saying that the Chargers are actually going to beat the Chiefs of the division this year, that the Chargers are actually going to go to the Super Bowl. All the hype nonstop on the Chargers, and the Jets took all the hype for the Dolphins instead. And to shove it in their face, to get revenge for last year, to Tua, it's not just that he was awesome, it's the way he was awesome. It was the plays outside the pocket. That's what I hear all the time. When the play breaks down and he goes off his first read, Tua can't make a play. It was wrong at the time. It was a horrible, dumb opinion by people that didn't follow Tua very closely. And I love today that not only did he have 466 yards, but he did it off script. He did it by making plays under pressure. A lot of people are going to see that he had zero sacks today, which is true. And the offensive line does deserve credit for zero sacks without Armstead. But he got pressured 13 times. It's not like edge rushers didn't get to the pocket. They did. He was just so good at avoiding them and making throws on the move constantly throughout the game. And to anyone listening who didn't watch the game, I'd watch the highlights because Kevin Harlan was on the call. Kevin Harlan was on the call last year when the Dolphins played the Ravens in that big comeback. Whenever Kevin Harlan's on the call for the Dolphins, it's a good time. And that was an awesome way to start the year. So I'm, I'll be honest with you. I didn't get to watch the game, unfortunately. I was on at 425 as well. Yeah. We'll dissect that in a little bit. But it's just the little highlights I saw. The fact he was getting so much off-step throws, so much mis- like yep. miscue throws, but also the fact, like Danny said this in his week, like Tyreek is an alien. And it's just the thing where if Tua is healthy, it's only good for this football team. My bigger takeaway, though, is how bad the Chargers defense apparently looked. Apparently Bosa and Cleo Mack had terrible games. J.C. Jackson was getting cooked out there from what I saw. But, like, I, I look at that Chargers where I'm like, yikes, like, more than like I don't like I don't like to do this where you focus on one team winning more than one team losing. But for as good as Miami looked, like we expect them to look like this, it's a huge confidence booster. Build the confidence back up before it gets knocked down this time next week. Um, but we'll get into that on Thursday night, by the way, folks. Um, but as it goes for that, it's just one of those wins for Miami where it's like, look, you're one and zero. You, you, it's not like you just beat anyone. You beat a team that's supposed to be a contender. They just paid their quarterback an insane amount of money. So if you're a Dolphins fan right now, yeah, you got to relish in it. Yeah, you got to enjoy Victory Monday. You got to soak it in. You got to appreciate everything that it stands for. Um, also, a couple things. This is episode six of Danny Dimes in Prime Time, and Graham Gano just shanked, I think, a 36-yard field goal. So it is still currently 26 nothing Cowboys. Which, like, I, I don't know about that, but that was my big takeaway though from your game. Like, I am going to go back and watch the highlights. I'm going to listen to the podcast tomorrow just to get all this stuff broken down. But that was my big takeaway though was how bad apparently the Chargers defense looked all day. Yeah, I'll agree with you because J.C. Jackson, so to those who don't know, J.C. Jackson in New England, as you know very well, 
like praise for his man coverage ability, play praise for his ability to make interceptions. But with the Chargers last year, he was playing more zone early on in the season. But as everyone has mentioned constantly, after he got hurt in the game against the Dolphins, the Chargers had a lot of success by playing press man and clouding the middle of the field. So it seemed like the Chargers were asking him to be in man coverage a little more often, thinking in theory that should maybe suit his strengths. The problem is he couldn't stay with Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell in man coverage like the Chargers cornerbacks could last year because it's Tyree Kill. Like Michael Davis guarded Tyree Kill very well in the game last year. And I guess Brandon Staley probably thought JC Jackson a better player in a man setting. Maybe he won't be as bad as he was early in the year last year for them. But he got cooked. And Griff, it was so bad that Tua threw an interception in this game, like one of his only like really bad throws in this game. It was to JC Jackson. And I actually told one of my friends, that's good, because that means they won't bench JC Jackson and they'll keep him in the game. And sure that's enough. Solid tweet. The very next play, the very next play, Tyreek Hill torched him for a 30-yard touchdown. It was it was awesome. Oh, I, 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 you just – from, like I said, we'll get into, like, next week, guys. Big Rabble back here Thursday because, obviously, next Sunday night football, it's Patriots and Dolphins, so we won't be here next Sunday night recording. And then, as well, Big Rabble will be back the following Thursday because it's always Danny Dimes in primetime because he's got a lot of primetime games right out the gate. So that's that. Um, but no, I'm, I'm just, you're happy to see your friends succeed. You're happy for your friends' teams, especially a team like Miami where there is so much scrutiny and where there is so much um, just overall sense of relief to where it's like, hey, the quarterback worries, they go away. Like, hey, he looked really good. Hey, like you said, he managed to escape pressure a lot, especially with, because we talked about this a few weeks ago, you, Greg, Danny, and I. We also had this offensive lines on all our teams, and I brought up Miami's health situation. Obviously, Tron Armstead was hurt, but next man up comes in. And then, boom. My big question for you is, though, I know it was a high-scoring game, but were you impressed with the Fangio scheme, or do you feel like it's still a work in progress with a new coordinator? Yeah, definitely a work in progress. And I mentioned this on the podcast with you, that I thought I thought people were kind of overhyping the defense because the transition from uh, Josh Boyer, Brian Flores' scheme of heavy blitzes, heavy man coverage – Uh, always playing with one deep safety, never two deep safeties, and sometimes occasionally three deep looks, but very rarely. I thought there would be some growing pains in doing that to the Vic Vangio scheme. And honestly, the biggest problem was the rush defense. Like, the run defense was so bad. Like, Austin Eckler and Josh Kelly lit their asses up for, like, seven yards of carry every single play. So I am hopeful that that can correct itself with time. I'm not sure if that's schematic or if that's just the Chargers O-line beating up the Dolphins tackles, which, you know, as a fan, that doesn't make me happy, but the Chargers O-line is supposed to be very good this year. They're supposed to have a good interior. So I need to see it uh, with a little bit more sample size in the coming weeks. Um, But I would think hopefully, like certainly what Fangio did on that last drive was awesome. Like I wanted them to send pressure on fourth and 13. He sent a very cleverly designed blitz. Uh, both guys got there. Like, I was very, very happy with that call with the game on the line. So, I think in a tight spot, can I trust Foggio schematically to call the right play to win the game? Yes. Can I trust the whole D-line to hold up and run defense for a whole game? Uh, I don't know yet. We'll we'll see. We'll see on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a giant wait and see. And I feel like next week with divisional football, it'll be intriguing just because we're going to flip it to my side of the game, which we'll get into the offense in a minute. But I'm going to say this, and I need you to watch the highlights. I have so much faith in our defense after today. And two players who really stood out to me just because of the rookie aspects, um, Christian Gonzalez, who looked great. And then Keon White as well, was always in there constantly getting pressures. Um, As for New England, the loss sucks. The fact that they lost is just off a rookie mistake. But this is going to sound weird. But I look, the first quarter was rough. But then the way the team rebounded, and I'll say this too, probably one of Mac's best performances in like probably since 2021, probably since I don't know if you remember this game, they played the Titans late in the season. I think right around Thanksgiving yeah. 2021 where he looked great. It reminded me of that. The tight end play was great. Uh, Mike is like, not too, too involved, but overall in all, I'll say this. I don't know if New England's going to be that team in the playoffs, but they're a team that every week they are what I thought they were going to be to where I can go out and trust them to be competitive. I just need to see them in more crunch time situations get the job done it was disappointing today but i'll say this too i think we kind of figured out the keys with philly that their safety play is not exactly top tier 
that they have a great front seven. Don't get me wrong. They're getting pressure all day long. Jalen Carter is the real deal, but they're, they're safety. They have a bit of a hold safety. They're targeting Avante Maddox a lot today. And as for the offense, look, Dallas Goddard was near like you did not see him today. He was a ghost. Their best receiver probably was Devontae Smith and then um, A.J. Brown. Besides that, they're mainly using Kenneth Gainwell for the most part. And I'll say this too, and we'll talk about it just because for Thursday Night Football, but man, Dallas, there was just, it was something there where I'm just like, not with Dallas, but with Philly, where I'm just like, I don't know if it's week one or if it's did New England just kind of write a script on, hey, this is how you can stop the Eagles, go out there and try it, or is New England just a better team than people expected, than expected? which I want to go on that angle because I was being told in the offseason, like, five wins, like, five wins, you're going to start 0-4, like, seven wins, no. I think this is a team that they're still their own worst enemy, but if they can go out there and get the job done, it'll be great. And also for anyone asking, hey, what's up with your voice? I will say this. I was at one of my closest best friend's weddings last night that I've known since I was a kid, and my voice was left in the bottom of a bottle of Tito's. So there's that as well. That's my uh, whole spiel on the Patriots. And the other thing, too, is just to see Tom Brady get honored to me back in the building and do the public service announcement and do the run-on. That's why I'm still wearing the jersey. It made my day. Yeah, I I would need to – I certainly would need to look at it a little closer because obviously yeah. – uh, like like we talked about, our games are going on at the same time, but I definitely did like catch glimpses of it here and there, and I saw the final score lines and all that. And it really seems to me that, yeah. So Philly, uh, as I often say, last year they were I think seven and one, they won yeah. score games, something like that, and they won another close one today. But they needed a pick six that was kind of a fluky play and a fumble as well, and. You know, the Patriots had two drives there late. Like, if they if, – if they were, if, instead of being down five, if they were down three, they probably would have kicked field goals on both those drives instead of going for it, like, on fourth down and not getting it. So, I, I think overall, I think it gives you some confidence. This may or may not be exciting as a fan, but the fear that the Patriots would go from being a 500 team to now being, like, a six-win team or a five-win team because of the Jets – I think that starts to subside when you see yeah. them put up a performance like that, where maybe you go back to thinking, okay, either they're going to be the same eight and nine, nine and 18. They've been the last few years, or maybe something even better than that. If they get some yeah. breaks, if they get some luck with health, you know, I will say uh, overall, like definitely a very encouraging performance against the defending champs of the NFC, NFC. But I think what you want to see as a fan now is you want to see one of these games against a good team resulting in a win. Like 100%. I'm confident. I'm confident Patriots can beat up on bad quarterbacks forever. Like, I won't shock every bad quarterback you guys face in the schedule will be a win for the Patriots. And I'm confident you can play the good teams close. Now you need that one win where you win the game you're not supposed to against a team that's projected to win double digits, which, hey, could be next week. I, I yeah. fully expect I fully expect the Patriots defense to play a lot better than, uh, than the Chargers defense did this week. Um, the, the spread opened up right now at Dolphins minus two. So I'm yep. not too, too worried about like, about that. I just wanted to say that like with New England, where it's a team where I can go out there and I can feel confident in. And also to like, where, you know, Hey, every Sunday they have a chance to be right. They have to get one of these games to like go their way. A game I look at that for that is Dallas coming up week four, um, the Jets game week three or your game week two. Cause obviously as we know, two has had Bill's number. The win last year was because that was a game two. It was out. And I believe Teddy Bridgewater started the game, but he didn't finish the game. He got hurt, and he also threw a pick six. Excuse me, but that's that's what happened there. Um, other highlights from around the league today, I will say this. Also, I don't know how your gambling went today, but I'm going to be honest with you. First week of the NFL season, I didn't think this was going to happen Thursday night. We got cooked. We got cooked on our parlay. We took the over with the Chiefs. But, but... Big rally back in a second, guys. He was on his phone, but he's converting to live. He's converting, so we see his face. And you know what? Here's his face uh, right now. <coughs> oh, excuse me. But I'll say this. Week one, we hit a parlay today. We hit the parlay. I don't know if you I saw it. I Washington, did. Arizona, for the viewers, Washington, or listeners, Washington, Arizona, under, Vegas on the money line, uh, Vegas on the spread. I almost took money line, too. And Green Bay. Even Danny messaged me this morning saying, I hate the Packers pick, and I was just like, I do not buy this Bears team. And what happened? Same old, same old Bears. But I'll say this as well. There's one team I was quietly fraudulent on. 
and they proved it today, and that is Pittsburgh. Yeah, the uh, I admittedly I, I had a good week betting. I went three and two with my five top plays, but I did tell my brother that if there was a sixth play that I would consider, I would consider the Bears. So I was also wrong on that. Um, I also agree. Like I also agree that the Bears are being. I definitely agree for the rest of the season. The Packers are better than the Bears. I thought that going into the game. I just thought with no Christian Watson at home, it's like. I, I like told my brother, it's like if Chicago doesn't win this game, like what game can they win? Like, like they're gonna have to go at Green Bay now. They got two games against the Lions in the schedule. Like, fuck, like the Bears. To me, that that's got to be such a deflating loss for your fan base. Like the whole, they hadn't beaten the Packers in was like eight twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen, and Rodgers is gone. And the whole narrative that Rodgers owns you, and now you have a different Packers quarterback, and to not just lose, but to get handled. It's at home when you're supposed to be surging, when you're supposed to be growing in year two. Let me tell you, and I, I did watch that Justin Fields interception, and it was fucking brutal, like a terrible throw. Man, I Fields is really fun to watch. The rushing is really fun to watch. But we're going to need to see more because they are 5-16 and 16 in his last 21 starts. Like yeah. Zach Wilson was better than that from a win-loss. I know QB wins isn't a stat, but still, like, they got to find ways to actually win football games. They can't go 3-13 and 13 again. Otherwise, I think everyone's getting fired. I, I said that, too. This is a team where, look, if you don't turn it around, and they got the Buccaneers, which that completely shocked me today, that they managed to go out there and get the win. But I still feel like that's a – that the Buccaneers are a team where it's going to be like a few weeks, like cute romantic story, and then eventually they're going to have a loss where they just fall off a cliff. Um, yeah. But with the yeah. Bears, it's just it's just so – like, I just said it from the beginning. I'm like, I don't believe in Justin Fields. I feel like it's not the right coaching staff in there to do all that. Before we talk about all the other games, do you want to rewind to Thursday? I just want to get your thoughts. Yeah, sure. Like, that was one of my you, games. So uh, I'll say you, we'll go to Thursday. Okay. Guys, you, I want to, there's a question about Thursday. Sure. Do you – obviously Kansas City looked really bad, and you had the thing about the receivers. Mm-hmm. Or do you look at it from a Detroit perspective where you say it's a good win – but you still need to see more from the Lions. Because I like, how do you like to look at it where it's like Kansas City kind of help? Well, Jesus Christ, the spread's 25 and a half for the Cowboys right now live. Um, Giants plus 3,000 on the money line if you're feeling risky. Um, <laughs> but that's, that, that's how I look at it. Like, I think it was a good win for Detroit. I was in, so the wedding I was at was on the border of Michigan, went over to Michigan this weekend, and there was a lot of Hawaii blew out. They were, there was a lot of happy fans there Friday. So that's the one thing I'll just say I want you to answer is do you put it like look at the Kansas City angle more or do you do the Detroit angle where it's like it looks like a good win, but like do you think it's hey you saw enough or hey you need to see them do it against a real opponent? Uh, Not a real I, opponent, I, but you know, like the 100% yeah. clicking on all wheels. Well, so Detroit was one of my five picks, was the Lions yeah. on the spread, even after the Kelsey news. I told my brother, even at four and a half, still hit it. So. I, I do think, like, America can't have it both ways. Like, Kelsey got announced out, and the general narrative I heard from a lot of people was, eh, it doesn't matter, they have Mahomes. Like, and I tweeted yeah. about it, this lie that an elite quarterback with no weapons and your offense will score 30 points. It just doesn't happen. Like, as I say, from a Patriots perspective, those years when Gronk got hurt, Brady's numbers usually suffered, when he didn't have another elite receiver in the game with him. Especially, oh, my God, if there was ever a game where Gronk and Edelman were both out, oh, like – Definitely nowhere near the same. And I saw like some Patriots fans, I think, posted that in the 2006 season before Randy Moss got there. He like had this great stretch to start the year. And someone else pointed out the defense was second in the NFL in points allowed that year. And that was statistically one of Brady's weaker seasons overall. So, yes, like America can't have it both ways. You can't tell me yeah. that, oh, it's Patrick Mahomes. It doesn't matter who he has. And then bitch when Kelsey's gone because the Lions were still four and a half point underdogs even after the Kelsey news was clear. So, Clearly, most people were underrating the Lions then because they thought, okay, the Chiefs will be worse without Kelsey, but not bad enough that they'll lose to Detroit at home. So I do think Detroit deserves credit. Um, Yes, if Kelsey and Jones were both healthy, do the Chiefs probably win that game? Probably. But even if if Kelsey and Jones were there and the Chiefs won by like five points or whatever, that would still be a very impressive performance by Detroit. It's on the road. It's on opening day in a hostile environment. Like winning – like is obviously great, but even like if they had like lost very narrowly, they still would have exceeded expectations. So I, I fully believe Chiefs will be fine. Like, cause I do believe yeah. once they're in there, 
jobs a lot easier. Like it's a lot easier for guys like Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore to be twos and threes as opposed to ones. Uh, so I, I do think their offense is going to be okay once Kelsey is back. Maybe not as high scoring as last year's team without Juju, but still like solid. Yeah. Um, but, but having said that, I do think it is a good showing by the Lions because it's just a very mature performance, a very mature win. Even without two of the three Chiefs' best players, they still deserve a lot of credit because, you know, they there's a lot of expectations on them to win. That was one of the tougher games on their schedule. Like, even if you, America, out there, like, are not convinced, recognize that at Kansas City was about as bad as it gets on their schedule. Like, most of their NFC North games are winnable. Um, they swept the Packers last year, so I don't think they're afraid of going into Lambeau. So when you really look at it, even if you don't believe in them, you do kind of have to project them as kind of being maybe like a 10-win team, which would be wild. We'll see. But, yeah, I think I think it was a good showing by the Lions. It was – here's why – I know I'm rambling, but here's why it was very impressive by them. The defense. The defense, yes, bad receivers. But also, Brian Branch had a great showing. Uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson had a great showing. Emmanuel Mosley had a great showing. Those guys are good players. Those guys were good players on – Aiden Hutchinson. Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, Ali McNeil, too, at the D-tackle spot. Like, those guys were making plays, and I think that is sticky. And the Lions, their first year under Dan Campbell and the first half of last season, the defense was just awful. The secondary was a sieve, and I don't think that's going to be the case. Yes, they're going to face tougher receivers, but I still think there were also a lot of plays where they were collapsing the pocket, and Mahomes was just being an absolute magician, like Tua today, like just finding a way to get out of a condensed pocket and getting a throw-off. There's also a lot of quarterbacks they'll face that will just get sacked on those exact same plays. So, yes, they'll face better receivers, but even considering that, I think it's encouraging that the defense put forth that kind of effort in Harrowhead, and it kind of lends credence to the fact that they could do very well. So, yeah, them – and, like, we're, I know we're going to talk about other games now, but I just want to say for posterity, my five games were the Lions, the the Lions, the Bucks. we'll talk about them, the Browns, and then my two losses were your Patriots, who I think probably should have covered, but whatever. It is what it is. That's not how the game is played. And uh, yep. Steelers, I took a big L on that one. So happens. I was on the Patriots on the spread too, just because I thought the plus four. Like I knew it was going to be a closer game. I knew, like, because it's always those game people think like, oh, they're going to go in there, they're going to cook them, they're going to destroy them, yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. Um, going into the Bucks game, I don't know if I want to look at them that more of the whole like is min- like I didn't get to watch much of that game, so I'm just like looking at it from the angles of what was Minnesota like or. Is it just, hey, Buccaneers are one of those, like, weird week one teams where, like, they get the win, but then, like, you see a different team in week two. But I feel like there's enough there to where they can stay competitive. I just don't think they're going to be this bad team we all thought they were going to be. I still feel like they'll be probably – that's still probably – I thought that instead of being, like, a five-win team, I can see them being, like, a seven-win te- seven team now. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. So, <clears throat> I was on the Bucs. Um, I mean, largely – Thought the Vikings were overrated last year. They had a lot of people know they had 11 one score games and they went 11 and no in those games. But it's even worse than that. They were 28th in DVOA. Like 28th in DVOA for a 13 win team is pretty incredible. Like you never see that in DVOA models. All their bottom ranked teams. Shout out, Randy. (laughs) They're usually the worst teams in the league. And here's another (laughs) wild stat they had a negative point differential on the year, minus two. They won 13 games, they lost four, and they had a minus point difference on the year. So, <coughs> I, in my view, the Vikings were always more of an eight and nine team. And I did think the Bucs, I did think the Bucs were maybe being a little overrated for how bad they were going to be. Now, granted, I didn't pick them to make the playoffs or anything like that. But most of the defensive stars from the Super Bowl run are still there. Carlton Davis is still there. Devin White is still there. They even re-signed Levante David, which was a big upset at the time. You know, Antoine Winfield is still there. A lot of the core of the defense is still there. Chris Godwin and Mike Evans are still there. Those are still 2,000-yard receivers. I was pretty adamant to my friends that they were being very undervalued in fantasy football because they're going to be 1,000-yard receivers, but they were both super cheap. So I did think, and Brady, as we know, wasn't that good last year. Not that I think the field is better, but it's not like Brady was playing in his peak form last year. So I kind of thought they could kind of be – so maybe like a slightly worse version of what they were last year. Last year they were eight and nine, so I thought maybe they can go seven and ten. So when a seven and ten team is playing an eight and nine team, in my opinion, in Minnesota, and the spread is six points, that's pretty good value. I mean, the Vikings, as we were just talking about, they don't win by more than a touchdown, anyways. Even if they were going to win, they were always going to win by like three or four points, right? So I thought it was good yeah. on the spread for that reason. I I don't. The Bucks are going to have a bad loss. There is going to be a game where Breaker throws like three picks. 
And everyone was reminded, okay, no matter how much, how many veterans are on this team, they're not going to be able to win enough with this window with Baker at quarterback. I absolutely agree with all of that. Um, but I yeah. do think the Vikings are just kind of a similar team with similar problems. So. I get that as my producer, Chris. Shout out. Chris is uh, texting me right now about his uh, fantasy team and, uh, and just uh, losing his bets today, which tell the kid I did pretty good. Um, that's just, I agree with you on everything on the box. You hit it right on the, the head. The Vikings perspective. I'm already looking at that game Thursday night, and I'm thinking I'm starting to lean towards potential Eagles blowout. They start 0-2. Everyone starts talking about it like we're right on the regression. But then week three, they come out, and they host the Chargers, and then they get that like weird, goofy win that like no one thinks because you know, everyone thinks, hey, the Chargers are going to go up there and handle their business with them, but then the Vikings steal the win. So I, that's what, honestly, I can see happening for them where – you know, bad loss comes week two, which we'll be covering. We'll be uh, talking about that game here and there. So that's just that. I was going to save it later on where we talk about like the, that game overall, because obviously we can't predict it as the game's going on. So that's just my prediction for Thursday. I think we get the Eagles. I think we get the Eagles to cover that seven and a half on Thursday. I think they just kind of rebound because that's the big thing with them is more than anything is the fact that the Patriots defense after that bad first quarter was able to contain Jalen Hurts and limit him to certain plays. So that's just that's just me. But week two, that that Bears Buccaneers game is going to be very interesting. That's and, a very interesting game. And down I, in Tampa. I always I always hate when when the NFL does this, where they just copy the schedule from last year. Like Eagles Vikings was the Thursday. Well, it was a Monday night game last yes. year, but also in week two, also in week two, also in Philly, and they're just repeating it this year on Thursday night football instead. It's like we can't we can't get some like diversity here, like. But I, yeah, I would agree with you. Even though I, I, I am uh, my only like controversial Eagle, Eagles take is that I think the Cowboys are going to win the division. Um, and yes, it's easy to say that when they're like blowing out the Giants right now. But I thought that before the game, anyways. And so seeing that Eagles performance certainly gave me some confidence in that prediction. Uh, but I do still think the Eagles are going to beat bad teams and do a good job. And even if the game is close. And it's like the Eagles need to have some regression in these one-score games. Well, so do the Vikings. Yeah. So it would be fitting for the Eagles to to beat them anyways. Uh, yeah, I'm going to agree. The Vikings are just – they're kind of a team in transition for me because, look, they, they chose not to extend Cousins in the offseason, which is yes. the first time they had done that since he's been there. And it makes you wonder, you know, if you're 8-9, what do you do? Do you just – bring Cousins back on a one-year deal or do you look to get younger you know that's just that's it you I think they're gonna look for the younger side if they has a bad year but if they win a playoff game I think you keep them around I think it's that Daniel Jones it's Daniel Jones metaphor where it's hey got great was great Daniel had a really good year last year he obviously won the playoff game against the Vikings Divisional round and then they got rewarded with a big contract so I think it's the same thing here but so far in this game it's been Bad. His QBR is twelve right now, which he's got a big. I love this. We we need to put it together one play at a time. I feel like that's just the coach saying, like, yeah, the game's over. We'll try our best, but nothing's going to come out of this. Um, actually, so out of all of today's games, which game was the bigger surprise for you? The Los Angeles Rams or the Cincinnati Bengals losing the way they did? Yeah, uh, I, I would say the Bengals. Um, I certainly, obviously, I picked the Browns. I was expecting the Browns to win that game. Uh, we talk about it on the pot all the time. Joe Burrow is one and five against the Browns, now one and six. So game was in Cleveland. Joe Burrow had missed a month. Not at all surprised that the Browns were going to win that game. I kind of very much did expect that. But you see, the Rams, I saw a lot of people that were like so sure the Seahawks would like clearly win. And I stayed away from the five and a half because the the Seahawks barely beat the Rams last year. Both games were field goal games. One of the games, Geno had to throw a touchdown at the buzzer. So I kind of expected that to be a close, like, field goal type of game. And But now, both Rams-Seahawks games last year, the Rams quarterback were John Wolford and Baker Mayfield. It was not Stafford. Yes, they didn't have Cup today. They didn't have Cup in those games either last year. And they had a worse quarterback play than Matt Stafford. So I'm not, like, trying to act like I could foresee the Rams receivers, you know, making the plays they did. But I definitely thought the Rams were very live to win that game. I know a few people who took Seahawks in, in a Survivor League, and I was like, eh, it's a lesson to everybody out there. Division games have a lot of variance. That's why there's always a lot of value in taking an underdog in a division game, because you really never know what's going to happen. 
especially, I mean, not the Rams were not, but especially like the Browns being at home, it's always good value to take the underdog in the division game because you never really know what's going to happen. And I, that, I would say that was mildly surprising that they like kicked their ass in the second half. I think those Seahawks only had three yards in the second half, but the Bengals, despite everything I just said, the Bengals offense being so inept, I really didn't see that coming. Like, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because Burrow was so rusty, but 80 passing yards? We've seen a lot of bad Burrow games. He gets a lot more than 80 passing yards. T. Higgins, I believe, didn't have a catch. No, nope. and Jamar like, Chase had 39. I just don't – I I never could have saw that coming because that trio is just too explosive to be that low output on offense. So them losing, not a surprise at all. Them not being able to move the ball at all. And Joe Burrow to have, I believe, the worst quarterback game of the weekend, probably. Like, like not – I guess maybe maybe Tannehill because he threw the three picks in the yeah. Titans game. But, yeah, like Burrow, Burrow I, I'm shocked. Shock. I did not know they had it in them to produce that few offensive yards, even though I thought they were going to pass. Um, I'm the same. I'm the same. Uh, the one thing I will say, though, about this weekend, obviously the rookie quarterbacks, first-rounders, all went 0-3. I think there were spots mm-hmm. from each one, though, where you could look at them and say there's something there. But the one that impressed me the mm-hmm. most was Anthony Richardson, just because he's the one that didn't have this like huge thing. He was this big question mark of, oh, what's he going to be? He looked good. Our favorite receiver, our boy, got a touchdown today. Um, also, he had a killer day in fantasy if you had him. Michael Pittman had a grand total. I'll look it up here. Eight receptions for 97 yards and a touchdown and an average of uh, 12, 12 yards for a catch, so 12 yards reception. So, I like I told you, like I was saying, he's the guy where it's just like they have no one else to throw the ball to. So, he's I feel like he's going to really showcase his talents where he may not be back in Indy next year or Indy signs him to a big deal because I always said this. He reminds me of like Gabe Davis where he's like I could see him being a wide receiver too on a really good team, but never, like, the true, true wide receiver one. I'm like, you know, an excellent team, you know? I'm not trying to say anything bad about him. It's just that's what I – that's the vibe I've gone from throughout his career. But he could probably know he breaks through and, boom, becomes a wide receiver one somewhere next year. Yeah. And plus, I mean, just, like, you know, like, with the direction of the team and with, like, the age of their quarterback, it's like you are kind of in – like, usually what you see is teams with quarterbacks – um, that young, they usually have like a receiver like on a similar timeline, like Tua and Jalen Waddle being a great example. Whereas these guys are what like four years apart, right? Something like that, five years yes. apart. And they have so many other contracts to give out that you know, like like the Buck, Buckner is, is isn't Buckner still like the second highest paid DT in football or something like that? We're pretty close to it. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely so, not number one now. We all know who number one is. Um, no, no, no. Yeah, especially I mean, number that guy makes that guy's so lucky that his quarterback makes so little money. <laughs> like that, that's how the Niners can afford giving him that contract. Uh, but yeah, no, I think I would agree. But I, I was happy with what I saw from Richardson. It is tough because one of my takes for this year is that I think the Jacksonville defense isn't going to be that good, and so I guess you could argue that Richardson probably had the easiest defense to go against compared to Stroud or Bryce Young. But Stroud, I know a lot of people that were on the Texans plus 10, and I never really got there because while I did understand the Ravens' offense, maybe against D'Amico Ryan's coach defense, first game of the new system, maybe there's some struggles there. I could totally see that. What I did not see is, oh, yeah, Stroud in this Texans' offense is going to score like 15, 20 points because like it's on the road in a hostile environment against a great defense in their own right. Like, you you see this often in that game where Stroud gets pressure in his face and he takes like a 10 to 15 yard sack, like a really, really, uh, not just a sack, but a sack that has a massive loss of yardage. And that admittedly is, he's a rookie. It's to be expected, but that is a kink that has to be worked out soon because you can't turn every pressure into a 15 yard sack. Like it's just going to be too damaging to sustaining drives as an offense. So we'll see on him. Bryce had some moments. I just think that whole team is just so short on weapons. Like, yeah, like I the Texans maybe to a lesser degree are as well, but at least the Texans have like a few young upside guys like Nico Collins and Tank Dell, in my opinion, who can maybe Even Brevin Jordan too. Yeah, like younger players that I can see doing really well. The problem with the Panthers is they're relying on a lot of veterans. They're relying on DJ Chark, who didn't play, Adam Thielen, and Hayden Hurst. And who Thielen I, was questionable all week long. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah. And, and then like like yeah, they have Jonathan Mingo too, but I don't know if that's good enough. Um to also go with, 
you know, at least the Texans are supposed to, in theory, have a good line. They they don't really because all their offensive linemen are on injured reserve right now, but that was the thesis. So you know they at least have one excellent offensive lineman. Whereas the Panthers, with their line and their weapons, like Miles Sanders, meh. Always thought he was kind of meh. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just think Bryce Young – Bryce Young is given Bryce Young may be better than CJ Stroud right now, but I also think Bryce Young has less help at his disposal. And Bryce Young doesn't have a great defensive mind as his head coach, like CJ Stroud does, who could maybe coach up his defense to get them a strip sack here and there, to get them a pick six, to put put the offense in like a favorable position. They picked off Tua in the preseason. And yeah. after Tua look today, you know, like maybe there's something to that. So but yeah, Richardson, Richardson. Uh, against the bad defense, in my opinion, but he just he looked a little more well-rounded. Like you saw the plays with his legs, you saw some of the throws downfield. You also saw that bad interception that probably cost him the game. You know, it's like a classic, like standard rookie performance. You saw the good, you yeah. saw the bad, you saw the upside. So I, I would also agree that probably a little more encouraged with his outlook this year than the other two, just because. And it's not fair, but he always in his bag can always just like rush for a hundred yards if he's like really yeah. confused as a quarterback. The other guys don't really have that option, even though Bryce did show some stuff with his legs today. But nonetheless, I think if you're having a fantasy team, obviously um, Richardson is the one you want on your fantasy team, not not the other two, at least not at this point. Oh, 100%. And then um, the other thing I'll say too is, is it's now 33-0 uh, Cowboys over the Giants. Oh, um, my Lord. Tony they Pollard, scored again? Tony Pollard ran it in untouched. Um, so I don't know if you saw the Manziel doc or not on Netflix. I did, but obviously the big, the, you know, the big topic there was um, how basically they went the Dallas Cowboys are going to get Manziel, they end up going Zach Martin. Yeah, that is. I don't think of a bigger W. I think that is one of the more underrated Hall current Hall of Fame careers going on in the NFL right now. Not allowing a sack in over twelve hundred snaps, just his longevity and the fact too that he's been playing for the team he has. I feel like he's one of those guys where he's like a Joe Thomas, where he can retire without a chip and he'll get into Canada, no problem. Yeah, I fully agree. I think, and especially what will help him, much like Joe Thomas, is that he was so good right away. Like he was making all pros as a rookie, and so when you do, when you start making all pros as a rookie, the standard is just a little bit easier for you to make the Hall of Fame because the amount of like a lot of guys need like two to three years to understand the NFL. Then you start racking up Pro Bowls and All Pros, and you're often judged by how many All Pro teams you make at the end of your career. But if you start that immediately. Even if your ceiling as a player isn't that much different than other guys at your same position, because you got the all pro selections earlier in your career while your competitors were learning the NFL, that puts you in a really good spot uh, in order to in order to get in. Uh, I would agree with that. MetLife Stadium is also filling it fill, uh, quickly. Um, there are some empty seats there at the moment. I could see some people thinking it's also pouring rain. But before they showed that, we got this beautiful little graphic on the TV for next Sunday night. So Nakajua, that's it. I am very, I am very, very scared of this game because the Patriots need the win. It's in prime time. Uh, you know, like we're wearing defense, our throwbacks. The defense is going to be better than the defense we play today. I am, I am genuinely very nervous. And fucking hell, why do the Dolphins have to wait till week three for their home opener? That should be illegal. That should be banned. Patriots, pa- Patriots had to do it last year. We went to it's Miami awful. and then we went to Pittsburgh. Let, let's see who your home opener is. Um, Denver. Ooh, that's, that should be a win. Um, but the one thing I'll say, though, too, about this going into today's games, I'm sorry, but I don't – even though they got the win, I don't see it with the Falcons. I think – I just like – I'm like – I think it was a good divisional win for them, but it's just everyone expecting Bijan, like Bijan this, this, this. And then it was Tyler Algier going out there having a good game. I feel like Arthur Smith – Arthur Smith, excuse me, is such a complex coach to read where it's like – Okay, you think he's gonna zig, but he zags instead, or you think he's gonna turn right and boom, he just like makes a weird left hand turn. So he's such a weird guy to figure out. I honestly do think this as well, where he, I think if the Fal- I think he's gone after this year, unless the Falcons somehow win the division and make the playoffs. I think I think he's gone. Uh, it's gonna so it's gonna depend on the rest of that division because this is the problem. Like Arthur Smith, Arthur Smith and the Falcons both could actually be bad. But the division elevates them to being better than they are, like the Bucs last year. The Bucs probably would have been even worse than 8-9 and nine if they weren't in the NFC South. So it's it's not about, like, how good can they be? It's can they be better than the Panthers, Bucks, Falcons, I mean, Saints, etc. Um, so because I was, I was a little lower on the Saints than most people. 
Uh, I just don't trust Dennis Allen. Like, this guy has, like, a sub-40% winning percentage in his career, and I know that's not all his fault, but a lot of that was with Derek Carr, too, or some of it was, like, a few games. Yeah. But I, they, they did look good today, though. I watched that did. game mainly. The most of the 1 o'clock window, they looked good. Um, I'll say this, too. I think my Chris Olave wide receiver one prediction is coming along smoothly. It's just for them, I, I, they're, they're, that offensive line needs work. That Saints offensive line needs a lot of work. I think I think the defense looked a lot better than I expected. Um, I wasn't expecting Tannehill to get three interceptions, uh, so I, I do agree with you on that. I'm just I, I just don't trust their head coach first and foremost, and so I think they will lose games that they're supposed to win, kind of like Josh McDaniels with the Raiders last year, even though they had a good day today. Uh, so I don't really trust the Saints that much. I understand why they're the favorites. They probably deserve it. They probably have the best quarterback in the division. They probably have the best defense in the division, but. I'm just a little concerned that they're going to win games. They're, they're going to lose games that they're supposed to win because of bad coaching decisions. So the Falcons, I don't really know. Like, I, I did think they could be good this year, but I, I, I also – you play the Panthers in week one. Like, I can't claim any sort of, like, insight from that. That could be the worst team in football this year. I really do think that's possible. Um, not even because of anything Bryce Young does wrong. It's just there's just, the offense is just so limited in who they have available. So – I can't take any value from beating the Panthers at home in week one. Uh, so I, I, I have nothing to say for it. It is hilarious to me that everyone like hyped up Bijan so much and Tyler Algier had two rushing touchdowns. Like <laughs> Drake London played 90% of the snaps. He got one target and zero catches and he played 90% of the snaps. Like if I was a Drake London man- fantasy owner, oh my God, I'd be losing my mind right now. So that's <laughs> I, the Falcons kind of strike me as a as a 500 team that's going to beat all the bad teams and lose to all the good teams. But yes. there's probably only middling teams in their division. So maybe they just face enough. If the Saints and the Bucks are also 500 teams, then it's just who's the best of these 500 teams, and that's all that matters. But is it? I will say, do I have any confidence that they can actually be like a serious contender and like win playoff games? No, I do not. No, I'm in, the, I'm in the same boat as you. Like, they play Green Bay next week, so I think we'll kind of figure out next week. With This is a game where I think either side you're going to kind of figure out how good are you really. Like, because if Green Bay goes out there and loses to Atlanta, it's going to be this, hey, was week one a fluke? But then if they go in there and beat Atlanta, it's okay, hey, all they needed was love. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's still, I'm just still so happy that I got that right because, like, I was being told, like, that's a bad pick. It was just like, Everyone yeah. in the old to New Chicago, and I'm just like, man, I don't know, yo, they're fucking ragdolling Jones right now. This is bad. I know I we've done a lot of bad Danny Dimes games, but this is no. This is bad. There, there is a good chance this is the worst they have ever looked since we've been doing this. Like, because in those other games, like famously when he fell, they covered the, the Bucks. They covered that Bucks game. They covered that Bucks game on Monday Night Football, like with the point conversion. You know, they had that game against the. The Commanders Chiefs. with Taylor Taylor Heineke's first start, yeah, where they missed the field goal at the end. Like, that was embarrassing, but they played well. They came within a field goal of winning the game on the road. This is an ass-kicking at home. And um, let's see, right now Jones is 7 for 15 with 50 yards thrown in two picks. And does like, he have a fumble too? I think I could be wrong on that. Thought he I did. think he does. I think he does. Um, it's just – oh, it's just – Man, I, I tweeted $40 million interception earlier, and I think Giants fans took it as like, oh, if you think it's on Jones, it's like the interception was on Jones, it's like, like, you're, like you don't know football, which I'll say this right now. I hate when people say that, like when you say something they don't agree with, and right away it's like, this person doesn't know football. It's just like, no, they're just like, if you got to read through some of the satirical comedy that can be on um, Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. Um, the biggest takeaway from this game, and I was saying this, I kind of want to think this is the year that Dallas breaks through just because it's like that there's so much, there's that pressure. Cause I was, I said this in the NFC show to Jared and, and beast. I feel like Dak, because if Dak was anywhere else in the league, he'd be a top 10 quarterback right now. Yes. It's the fact yeah. that he plays in Dallas. It's the fact that he plays in Dallas is why everyone's like so much more opinionated on him. Because when you're the Cowboys court, when you're quarterback for America's team, which I know everyone likes to say, Oh, Detroit's America's team. Everyone loves them. No, no, no. Dallas will always be America's team. It's just that's, that's the way it is. It's, the reason why they've opened on NBC the last three years in a row. And it's, it's, I, I think the DAC takes have been the most egregious in this summer. Like a good litmus test I have for how much I trust you as a quarterback rankings analyst is where you rank Dak Prescott. And in particular, 
where you rank Dak Prescott relative to Jalen Hurts. Because my two favorite quarterback analysts, Steve Ruiz from The Ringer and Derek Clawson uh, from the 33rd team, QB Class is his name on Twitter, but Class is bubbled with a K. They both had Prescott ahead of Hurts, and I agreed with them. And I see a lot of people putting Hurts in the top five when he has more help than any other quarterback in football, and it's not that close. The second best receiver in fo- receiver duo in football, in my opinion, behind my team, a top five tight end, and the best offensive line in football. Not one of the best offensive lines in football, the best offensive line in football. No one has ever had more help. We just saw Nick Foles put up 400 yards in a Super Bowl. In a Super Bowl. Nick Foles did that against your Patriots with all the help in the world. So I, I do think Hertz was being a little overrated. I know I've always been critical of him, so my opinion on this comes with a grain of salt. But still, I've admitted that I was too harsh on him coming out of college. He has been better than I expected him to be. But I think Dak, Dak had some bad luck with tipped interceptions last year, and everyone yeah. just way reacted. And he missed like a quarter of the season, too. Kind of came back out of rhythm two years ago. Dak Prescott had 41 touchdowns two years ago. It wasn't like half a decade ago, literally two years ago, Dak Prescott had 41 touchdowns. And I do agree the hype kind of got out of control on how bad Dak was. I also think people read into the Trey Lance stuff too much. To me, that says almost nothing about Dak. Trey Lance is not even starting over Cooper Rush right now. Like it is a gamble. It is a bet. You can always want to get more quarterbacks. You know, what if Cooper Rush gets hurt? What if what if Cooper Rush doesn't resign with the Cowboys and you want a better backup quarterback options because of Dak's injury history? Like, I never, ever read into that as being anything significant. But, look, I know everyone's queasy. I get it. I'm queasy, too. Everyone is scared to predict the Cowboys to make the Super Bowl. Like, I've seen a lot of people who are like, you know, analytically, I probably should pick them. But I, I it's the Cowboys. They haven't made a conference title game in 20 years, all that stuff. Isn't the year that it finally happens – wouldn't it make sense as if it was in this version of the NFC where there's not a lot of other teams you can trust, where one of the only other teams you can sort of trust is in their own division and they play pretty well against anyways? Like, yeah. this, if it's going to happen, wouldn't it be this year where it's like, okay, maybe they can't beat the 49ers. Fine. It's just one team. They could beat everyone else. They beat the Eagles last year. Even though Jalen Hurts didn't play that game, the Eagles offense put up 30 points that game. It's not like they were short on the offensive side of the ball. Like, I, I would think there's a, there's a good chance that this could be the year it happens. That, that, that's exactly it. I feel like it's a, I think it's a now or never year for them, too. So that's, that's just the reason behind it as well. But it's just like someone said it, too, where they were, like, thinking of Super Bowls. And then they said, what was it? Someone said, like, Jets versus Cowboys in the Super Bowl. And I'm like, and they're like, Vegas, Aaron Rodgers, or all this stuff, and I'm just like, no, I would not want that. No, 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 we don't need that energy to be in a Super Bowl, uh, that particular matchup, or Bills-Cowboys is like my worst nightmare come true. Um, Arizona, obviously, look, they're probably not going to be that good, but do we take the fact that they hung in tough as a grain of salt, or are they going to be this team where they're just on the bad luck of all these games a year long, where they're going to lose a lot of one-score games, like kind of like what the Colts did last year, where instead of going 11-0 and in one-score games, you go like 1-10. and uh, it's tough because I did think there was a chance they could cover the spread, uh, much like how when we famously on this podcast, I gave as a Survivor League pick, take the Texans week one against the Jaguars in the 2021 season. The game was in Houston, but the Urban Meyer Jaguars were still three-point favorites in that game, and everyone thought the Texans were horrible. They're horrible. This is the worst team we've ever seen. Almost always when people say that, it's usually hyperbolic. It's usually not true, but the Cardinals have some talent. I'm not saying I think they're a good team. They're not, but they have some guys that you know that we care about. So I did not surprise. And like the commanders, it's not like the commanders are established enough to trust to cover a seven point spread against pretty much. Yeah. Any team. You know, so it Sam how it's still, it sounds crazy. Like people view Sam Howell as like a second year quarterback. It was the second start of his career, like second start of his career. We should view him like how we view the rookies more so than, like comparing him to quarterbacks from last year's class. 100%. So I did think the Cardinals could uh, keep it close, um, but I don't think, to your point, I don't think it I don't think it all of a sudden means that they're going to do this every week. Like there's going to be games where they just get rocked. There's going to be games where they lose by 20. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if there's like a game in a few weeks where like let's say they spend like a month playing teams tough, and then like week five they're 0-4, and they're like only plus four on the spread – and everyone bets the plus four, and they lose by like twenty five. Like that's coming at some point yeah. in the season. Coming, uh, it's a. But what does make it interesting though is is Kyler going to come back? Because if Kyler comes back, 
that changes the math a little bit. Then can they, they don't have to be competitive for the whole season. They just need to be competitive for like three weeks without them. We'll see. I don't think anyone really knows. We'll wait and see. Um, I still, if they're like, for some reason, hovering around 500 by the time he gets the green light to play, I would say, yeah, but like if they're like one in five and like say if it's like week seven and it's like, hey, Kyler can play, I would probably just keep him out, honestly. I think if you're doing that because there's the injury guarantees and like we're and like Greg was saying too in the, the preview show, if you trade him somewhere, there's a team out there that's a borderline contender that will pay that first round price. Obviously, this year you have a lot of quarterbacks. You have Caleb Williams, you have Drake May. Um, who's it? Michael Penix Jr. I think is a kid that's getting overlooked a lot. Shout out Edge is the best for that one. Um, but would you rather have that or would you rather have Kyler Murray who's already under a contract and you get your franchise guy, you know that, hey, if you put him in the right system, you can make him work. Like we all know with Cliff Kingsbury, and I still say this, if it wasn't for Patrick Mahomes having this goofy season in 2018, I don't think Cliff Kingsbury is an NFL head coach. That's just, that's me. Because I think yeah. a lot of people looked at that and said like, hey, he, you coach Mahomes in college, you can do it in the NFL. And he had one winning win, one winning season for a reason. Yeah, I think it's going to be it's going to be interesting because, like, as people have said, this GM and head coach did not draft Kyler Murray. This is not Steve Kime and Kyler and Cliff Kingsbury, so they don't have that same loyalty to him. So, what the tell for me is going to be: Does he come back? Because if he if you want Kyler Murray to be your quarterback next year, then he should come back. Like, do you really want him to go a full year without getting reps? Even if you do want the number one overall pick, don't you want Kyler Murray to like play and recover from the ACL injury? And like, obviously make sure he's healthy. Like don't rush him back. Obviously like give him as much time as he needs. But if he's going to be your quarterback for the future, I could see value in having him come back, build chemistry with some of his new teammates, like kind of getting some momentum at the end of the season. But if he doesn't come back, that to me says you want to trade him. You want to tank. You want to get the first pick, and you want to trade him in the offseason. And I, I, okay. If I were the gym of the Cardinals, I do think one. I think Caleb Williams will probably be a better NFL quarterback than Kyler Murray. And two, I get Caleb Williams, who I think is the better quarterback, and he's also on a rookie contract. And I also get to trade the veteran for picks as well. I do think that sets you up better in the future. But you know. NFL guys think differently about this stuff. Maybe their thought process is, yes, we prefer Caleb Williams, but he's an unknown. We know who Kyler Murray is. And a quarterback being bad can cost people their jobs. So let's just stay with the guy we know rather than the guy we don't know. Like, I can totally see that as a reasonable line of thought process too. So to me, it will depend on, does he come back? If he comes back, I think he's probably coming back next year. If he doesn't come back, I don't think he's coming back. Period. Yeah. Like, like never coming back. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, before we go, just because obviously we talk about most of the games, I don't think there's much else to talk about unless we want to like, like run. Let's just look at one quick. Like we we pretty much talked about them all. Um, Vegas, I say I was bang on. Vegas hasn't. Vegas has had Denver's numbers since 2019. I don't know why that is, but it's just that's how it's been. Um, they get that's the crazy. win. Jacoby My- Jacoby Myers got fucking smoked today. I'm hoping for the best for him. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo, I feel like they're, the Raiders are doing what they are. Like, they're already minus nine and a half dogs for next week against Buffalo, in Buffalo, in that one o'clock window. So, that's a tough one. Besides that, the only other thing I think I have to say is, I think San Francisco, is it San Francisco's good, or is it, is Pittsburgh the team that no one thought they, like, Pittsburgh, we were wrong. Because I know, I, was, I wasn't saying they were a sleeper. This is going to be interesting for next week because they play the Browns on Monday Night Football in Pittsburgh. And I looked at the look-ahead line, and the Browns are a one-point favorite. And this is certainly, like, where I and many other bettors will do the same exact logic we had this week of, like, oh, it's the Steelers at home in a must-win spot, division game. Um, I, I still think Deshaun Watson still didn't look all the way back to me. Like, I, I, no. I, I maybe have to watch the game a little closer, but he had a bad interception. He took some really bad sacks. Um, from what I could see, like Nick Chubb was doing most of the work on the ground. Uh, so I do think Deshaun Watson on the road against a good Steelers pass rush, you know, because TJ Watt did still have some place today. He like forced strip sacks of, of Brock Purdy twice. So I could totally see the Steelers like bouncing back and winning that game. Um, but obviously they were only like two point underdogs today at home, like a very similar logic. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to the well. I'm going to do it a second straight time. 
If the Steelers <laughs> lose the Browns on Monday Night Football, they are probably a bad team, and this will probably be the first time ever that Mike Tomlin goes under 500. Because there's yeah. just if you, if you lose to the Browns at home, you still have four games against the Bengals and Ravens to worry about. Like, and you've already burned through two home games. Now most of your games are on the road. So I think Monday is your litmus test. If this game was about, oh, the Niners are just a Super Bowl contender, like they just came in and smoked someone, nothing to worry about, nothing to stress about, ignore it and move on, then the Steelers should win that game on Monday. But if the Steelers lose on Monday, even if they lose by like a touchdown, that's a pretty bad sign for the Steelers' outlook. And maybe we shouldn't overrate the Niners' performance today as a result. So we'll see you on Monday. I'm, I'm also looking ahead, too, because after that they go to play the – Oh, God, Raiders and Steelers and Sunday Night Football Week 3. Yeesh. Um, the Raiders, Texans, Ravens, and then they have their bye week. So they have the two home games. They have two at home, two on the road, and then they have the um, Ravens game right there in, in sandwiched in. So we'll have, to, we'll have to wait and see for them. But, like, my whole thing was with everyone saying, oh, they're a good preseason team, and I'm like, okay, just because you're a good preseason team, I don't think it will translate. I still think defensively they're going to be good. I just don't think we – I think we people prematurely crown picket a little too, too early where it's kind of like a reality check. But if they win next week, all this goes away. It's just that week three primetime game. Oof. Um, quickly before we go, because my voice, I, I would love to talk more, but my voice is just telling me, like, buddy, we got to tap out, um, which I hate to do that for you guys, but sometimes you got to do what's best for your health. Like I said earlier, voice left in a bottle of Tito's at a, at a wedding last night. Um, tomorrow night, I love Bills minus two and a half. What do you think? Uh... Yeah, uh, it's tough. I think this game is going to be 20-17. to 17. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I like the under. I don't think either offenses are going to get that much going. I think the Jets – Danny talked about this with the show. The Jets' lack of receivers outside of Garrett Wilson is pretty bad. Like Randall Cobb being your third receiver I think is very bad in 2023. Like that's not good enough in today's day and age. You know, and I like Lazard, and he's only a two. He's not a one, so he could probably do some good things. Aaron Rodgers knows him very well. But Nathaniel Hackett is calling plays. Nathaniel Hackett was not calling plays in Green Bay. Matt LaFleur was. That's always like a warning sign for when you think someone's offensive success success is going to translate to a new team. So I don't think – the and I think the Jets, you know, with the problems with their O-line, with the rust, you know, Rodgers, new team, all that, I definitely think they're going to start slow. I definitely think they're going to be limited on offense. But I'm just not sure how much the Bills are going to do on offense either. So – I'm torn. I think the game's going to be 20 to 17. I think either team can win. Um, just got got a gut feeling the Jets are going to win, but you know I don't know for sure. Um, the Jets do kind of need to win because this game is in New York, and I mean they're both in New York, but you know what I mean. This game's yeah. The Jets. Actually, I guess the New York game is not in New York. The Jets <laughs> in Jersey, baby. <laughs> uh, I think. I think very narrowly I'll say 2017 Jets, but I could very easily see that being 2017 Bills. And the Jets next week go at Dallas. So if they lose today, already going to be some problems. Um, I'm going to play paint a crazy scenario for you right now. Jets lose tomorrow night. It's this talk now where it's like, Buffalo this, Buffalo. Like Buffalo's like back. Like Why are we talking doubt them all offseason? What's wrong with the Jets? Jets going to Dallas and beat the Cowboys next week because everyone thinks the Cowboys are going to smoke them based off what happened tonight. Based off this game. Yeah, I could totally yeah. see like, the line's only minus three right now for the Cowboys. And if the Jets like lose by 10 and then the line goes to like Dallas minus eight or something like that, that's like a sure sign of like some overreaction in the other direction. So exactly. Like I could just see I see all that happening. Also, do I want the Jets buttered up for when New England goes in their week three? That's just me as well. <laughs> um that's just the way I look at that because you know where it's like everyone now is going to be like, oh, my God, the Dallas Cowboys. Like, I already know ESPN. They're going to be like on the whole – like, Stephen A. Smith's going to be – he's, he's not going to be pleased. Um, but, like, the Get Up crew, which I know because I mainly go at them when I make all these references, like how Bart Scott's always been on the Jets. Like, Greenberg's – he's a big Jets guy too. But, like, when I look at that – that's why I look at that game now where it's like the Jets, hey, they come back to reality. But then Aaron Rodgers goes in the AT&T Stadium, a stadium where, look – He's won a Super Bowl. His only Super Bowl was in AT&T Stadium. He's played the Cowboys very, very well throughout his career. Like, I always think back to what was it? I believe the 2016 divisional round. There was that photo where um, Cowboy fans were cheering with like a minute 30 left, and then Green Bay fans were just like, give it some time. And then he marched them down the field, and they won on a field goal. So I, that's how I'm going to go. Jets lose tomorrow night. 
and then they win Sunday against the Cowboys just because the NFL is a weird, wacky place. I can see it. It'd be fun. That's, that's, that's just the best way to look at it as I vamp here to get us over the hour mark. If you guys listen for the full hour, we truly appreciate it. Big Rad and I, we're going to be back Thursday night. Why? Because Patriots play the Dolphins, and when that happens, you got to get the man involved. So that's what's happening. This has been episode number 245 of YWC Football Talk. Thursday night, we're going to be previewing the whole entire week two slate while looking at the Falcon, uh, Falcons, Eagles, and Vikings game. It's been a long week, guys. Enjoy. Hope you enjoyed week one. Enjoy Monday Night Football. If you're a Giants fan, um, I want to say I'm sorry, but I don't really want to say I'm sorry. But uh, anyway, guys, you know what? Hope you enjoyed week one. Have a good night. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, undercurrent podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.